The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there, don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. Welcome and good morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you. You know, Thank I just you. saw this story. There's been so much. I don't know how this one passed by me. Came mm. out yesterday. The UK is in a recession. Mm. The, yeah. UA, the, UA, the UK economy fell into a recession at the end of last year uh, as uh, households cut back on spending amid the cost of amid the cost of living crisis. Ooh. Mm-hmm. The Office of National Statistics said gross domestic product fell by a larger-than-expected 0.3% in the three months going up to December. Hmm. After a decline in all major sectors of the economy and collapse in retail sales in the run-up to uh, Christmas. You know, this is something that you and I have, have wondered, which is, you know, when you when you look at what we use in this country to judge the health of the economy, which is the GDP, I mean, that's what the general public does and the general media does. And we have always really, since they changed how they figured out the GDP over a decade ago, you and I have, had all, have always had questions saying, because what you get is, well, it's the only thing that we have. Well, it's really not. And how do you judge an economy? I mean, how do you really judge an economy? Is it just the movement of money? Is it the production of goods and services? I tend to believe that you judge an economy based on the goods and services that you produce. Right. And and the health, you know, also you can say the fiscal health of the government, which always is going to affect because of tax policy or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, what industry can do and can't do. Right. So all of that is figured into it. But if you're talking about what drives an economy, is it just the movement of dollars? And, and we have, you know, it, it's a, sort of the same conversation that we have had when it comes to what is good economic growth, what is the best economic growth? Right. Well, the best economic growth is if you have a company that produces things that are sold all over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're taking the raw materials, you're producing it, or a service that you can do that with, because a service provides an increase in productivity and efficiency. That's mm-hmm. why you use that service. Exact mm-hmm. example: smartphone. Has this made my life more productive and efficient? Absolutely. 
without question. Uh, and but and, and so you look at it that way, where the GDP does take all of that into consideration. But if you're going to an economy, if you're going to look, for example, at government spending, by government spending, if the government spends fifty billion in this month on building, uh, hypothetically, tanks. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to show a huge increase in the GDP because of that. But is that the same as producing a widget, you know, whatever the widget would be, selling a product that increases the efficiency across the board of everybody who uses it, increases the productivity of a, of, of a company, people's lives, whatever, and you sell it for a profit, and you sell them all around the world, are you bringing new wealth in of dollars and other currency that has eventually turned into American dollars that now have an increase in value because they are backed by those products and services that have increased efficiency and productivity and not, you've got, for example, you still have you still have economic influence in that government money, which is going for the tanks. It may be not in the private sector, but you're building the tanks that are used to do what? They're the cost of doing business. It's a necessity. I was going to say it's, it's like um, it's national security is like the cost of doing business. Right. That that really is right. it. It's um, but it is not the same as the as wealth expansion. Increasing to further uh, a product or service that would further increase productivity and help to expand the economy. Uh, it's like uh, there are se- there are certain roles within a business, uh, and certain departments within uh, businesses that uh, are producing departments, and others that don't produce, and they're therefore you know compliance. They're therefore other reasons, but they're the cost of doing business. So. When we look at it, too, the you know what they changed years ago about the investment part of it. All right, so yeah, this company is investing and they're buying this and and that, and it's okay. I understand that in in short term, except for it is that's the plan kind of approach as opposed to all right, this is what we're seeing in realization, and sometimes it is it is both. Because you see, all right, there's a massive demand for this product or these types of products. And so this company is now going to invest in that knowing, well, not knowing, but um, betting on that demand carrying through, which it often does. You can kind of see that. Uh, When smartphones came about, that innovation was that type of expansion. And it was like, okay, now there's, you can see where well they're going to have to take more money and more money and more money and invest it in order just to keep up with the demand which is also important for an economy because or any business if you just think about it at that small level that if you open the door you better have inventory and so that's kind of the you know the idea but when it's you know so much is put on investment and and I guess it's for me it's not weighted properly in terms of the GDP, right? Because yeah, because that was another that was part of the concern when they 
change of GDP last time is right. are you actually producing the product or is it money going towards an investment? And that's the challenge. What really we know, we know what gives the dollar value. Right. You know, for you, you've had uh, Rand Paul, Ron Paul, for example, to say it's a fiat currency. It's not. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why they continue to. Well, I don't know, Brown, I haven't heard him say that in a while, but mm-hmm. I haven't even heard uh, Rand Paul say it in a while. Mm-hmm. But when you hear it, well, the dollar, nothing backs the dollar. Of course it does. It's ridiculous. The dollar doesn't have, you know, well, it's just because the government will pay off the, uh, the, uh, the, you know, the government will, you know, pay you treasury bills or whatever. That's a ridiculous argument. It has value because on the international currency exchange, it exchanges for a certain amount, and that's based on, the health of the economy, which is based on the goods and services that are produced. Right. But it's also the, again, the economic situation that government can, you know, mostly in a negative term, put on business that can help, you know, squash a, a, a GDP. For example, we give the, the thing that one of the reasons that the GDP is doing good is people still have money that government gave to them during COVID that was borrowed. Right. And it's not going to be paid off, and you're going to be paying interest on it for the next, I don't know. You may never, will probably never pay off the debt. It's always going to be there. You have to pay it off every day. What's the economic impact of that compared to just an organic economy and people spending the money that they earn in order to buy the products that they get? Right. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. You know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Well, and that's it. I mean, you know, when you look and, at it... And, and if they use a credit card, the vast majority paying off that debt at some time. Right. That's the idea. Right. <laughs> and, and that's... But, but if, if you know, and I, I don't want to, like, oversimplify it and, and imply that, well, we should only count investment if it's investment on a sure thing. You know, when I talk about demand and, and the growth of a uh, an industry and ongoing real-time demand, that's one thing, because you can look at things like AI. That's kind of wide open. 
I I don't know if the way that AI is being covered by financial media, but also the, I don't know, tech media, um, as to where it's going to go, there's no doubt that it is going to bring about whatever that innovation is going to look like or result in. It's likely going to make our lives more productive, more efficient. And there's just really no way around it. It's kind of it's kind of the whole uh, idea behind AI. And then the question is, all right, how will it be used and applied and and all that? And only time will tell. But there's no doubt that that you see those kind of companies. There could be an AI company where everybody's going, oh, man, totally on board. I'm going to get it. You know, and it's then all of a sudden the, the FOMO effect, fear of missing out, you know. Oh, I need to jump on that one. And then that company could be gone in five years. And another company comes about and learns from others' mistakes and then implements a, you know, and puts into place a Mm -hmm. plan of action or a business plan that that is fruitful. Uh, That does happen. Well, I don't think we're making statements. We're asking, I think we're asking the question, you know, what is the best way to To measure measure the success of an economy and I know what gives us, I think, a, a you know, a, a number. If, For example, it might take 10 different numbers for you to say, okay, I can analyze the economy much better by looking at these 10 particular issues here right. that give me, you know, the, the, the cost of government, uh, the production of durable goods and services, mm. you know, go down through that, you know, uh, in, investment, because you make a great point because you look at it and you go, all right, not all things that happen in an economy are equal to giving the dollar value, which is eventually what you're getting to by producing goods and services. Right. And so uh, you've got government all the time trying to look at it and say, well, the GDP is a measure and nothing else matters. So don't pay attention to inflation. Well, that's stupid because you have to pay attention to inflation. Yeah. Because that's part of people's economy. And, Inflation, well, the inflation and how it was caused and the debt that we've created and the, you know, the the Fed printing their own money in order to buy their own debt. All that has a negative impact right. on economic growth. Right. Yeah. And and so yeah. with the inflation and by the way, it's probably up now. So, uh, uh, Richard, yeah, we uh, uh, saw the uh, Facebook post yesterday uh, when because uh, Richard, Richard Rosso from uh, Houston, the great, you know, uh, financial guy. Mm hmm. Um, he's probably up at this time, but I did see it where you put, cause he came up with the, uh, cause remember it was transitory yeah. when they came out transitory and Richard came up with the term permitory. <laughs> yeah. Yesterday he said, well, we had transitory, then permitory. Now we've evolved into suppository, <laughs> which, <laughs> it's like, which I loved yesterday. Exactly. Like, I'm thinking spot on. So if we use that, we've stolen it from Richard. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, that's, uh, that's it because there are so many things with the economy and this is our frustration that are choices uh, because if the pressure were there to get on top of the debt by the overwhelming majority of American people, then you would see that that conversation would be happening on Capitol Hill and on the campaign trail. That's the way it works. We make these choices as to where we're going to go and uh, those are, you know, that's the frustrating part. Those items that we can fix, that we can fix. It's not easy, 
There will be pain, no doubt, but we choose not to because pain is hard. Things are hard. Well, life is hard. And we've, we've honestly, we've, 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 we've nurtured a couple of generations now to, to believe that you shouldn't have to do hard things. Well, hard things are required, actually, in life. They are required. You can ignore them, but they are required. But I want to have a life of pure pleasure. Right. Easy. Nothing but easy. Yes. Well, sorry. It doesn't work that way. I want to have so much pleasure that I'm bored. Yeah. Right. Well, I got nothing to do. Why? I've had all the pleasure a man can ever have. Yeah. I've got. I finished YouTube today. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's just it, that's it, it's it feels like that so much where people just don't want to do the hard things. I know there are a lot of people out there that know this that and that subscribe to, you know, sometimes you got to look, put your boots on and and do what's needed, but. As a nation, until we do that collectively, things won't change. 866-90-RED-EYE. This morning's USDA Farm Report is brought to you by Howe's Products. Tested, trusted, guaranteed since 1920. Whether it is his whiteboard speech or something impromptu, during events such as USDA's centennial edition of its Agricultural Outlook Forum or testifying before Congress on policy matters, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack says it's all about educating citizens about the importance of agriculture and rural areas from an economic and social perspective. And in talking to reporters at the Ag Outlook Forum Thursday, he reiterated that there is a place for all sectors of ag and all Americans. Basically, it's designed to say, hey, can't we do better? Can't we think bigger? Can't we think higher, aim higher? We can have production. We need production. But does it have to be at the exclusion of an opportunity for small and mid-sized operators? I don't think so. I think we can have a larger set of options. And I don't know why anybody would be against that. The secretary says, in turn, this creates a greater sense of community within rural America. From the Ag Outlook Forum in Arlington, Virginia, I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. This report brought to you by Cenex Fuels and Loops. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. You know, we didn't get a chance to talk about this either, but uh, I just thought about it when we were talking about, you know, the economy and how to judge, you know, how an economy is uh, is doing. And I just happened to see it was Wall Street Journal uh, lead editorial from yesterday. Mm. Uh, Biden's LNG gift to Vladimir Putin. Mm. You know what? Uh, again, you know, this is where we are the, you know, the leading exporter of liquefied natural gas. Yep. That's money for Americans. Right. And he, you know. That's wealth expansion that continues until Biden says no more. They go, President Biden is trying to strike a contrast uh, with Donald Trump by promising to stick by American European allies. Perhaps he hasn't heard Vladimir Putin's media organs crowing that his administration has double crossed Europe by halting permits for new liquefied natural gas gas export products. Now it's not Russia, 
but the United States that wants to bring Germans to their knees, gloated the Russian newspaper Pravda after the Energy Department imposed a moratorium on permits for new LNG export projects last month. Pravda argued that Germany will eventually have to return to buying uh, Russian gas because we have no other choice, and it may be right. Well, I mean, it, it, it opens up a great opportunity for Russia and, again, puts then uh, the all of our allies in a situation where you're dependent on Russia again, and then when Putin wants to do another land grab or whatever he's going to do, or go after our satellites, it, it, it's so insane. And everybody would scream back in the day, oh, they're just going over there for oil. They're just going over here for oil. They're just going over there. Fine. If that's your thing, great. Let's do all of it here. We dwarf the entire planet when it comes to reserves in the ground, and we can export it. We can be the kings if we decide to do. Again, another choice. We can decide not to do it, or we can do it, and also not we can reconsider. I mean, if that's your thing, then maybe there's not such great consideration for getting involved in every skirmish, every geopolitical word that is said won't rock the oil markets since the 1960s liberals have been screaming that the united states and our foreign incursions is caused because of our search for fossil fuels right and that has to yep. stop right and they were screaming about it really until trump became president mm-hmm now, we know, really, the cutting back on fossil fuels started about 20 years ago. Right. And it's just incredible that one of the major talking points for 40 years from Democrats was, boy, if we only didn't have to do that, because then we wouldn't have to get involved in all these wars. Yeah. And now Democrats wish to be dependent on foreign dictators for our energy. Listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. I thought this was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the, uh, three big firms, J.P. Morgan Asset Management, BlackRock, and State Street Global Advisors, have all exited the Climate Action Pressure Group. Woo! Has the tide? This is from the Wall Street Journal. Has a tide turn? On environmental, social, and governance investing, it appears so. Those three advi- uh, those uh, three companies on Thursday retreated from the Climate Action 100-plus Investor Compact because they don't want the political and legal liability. Climate Action 100-plus describes itself as the largest ever global investor engagement initiative on climate change. Its 700 or so international investor members manage more than $68 trillion in assets. That was before Thursday's exit. Mm. Their goal is to force companies to zero out CO2 emissions by 2020. 
uh, members are supposed to engage 170 focus companies like Boeing, Home Depot, and American Airlines that is threatened to vote against non-compliant corporate directors and um, and back shareholder resolutions that pressure management. Their campaign has had a great success with 75% of the targeted companies committed to net zero. But the climate left is never content. Last June, the alliance impelled its members to publish information on their engagements and to explain how and why they voted on shareholder resolutions flagged by the outfit. The point was to embarrass asset managers that uh, climate scolds accuse of being insufficiently committed to the cause. Asset managers have been walking the fine legal line. You and I talked about this a long time Mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, GOP attorneys generals in 2022 warned that they might be violating their fiduciary obligations and antitrust laws. Yep. House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan in December subpoenaed BlackRock and State Street Global Advisors for documents and communications related to their involvement in collusive agreements. Ooh. Collusion. Collusion, yep. Actual collusion. The Climate Alliance's new rules would compound the legal and political jeopardy in its withdrawal announcement. State State Street, excuse me, said its rules are not consistent with our independent approach to proxy voting and portfolio company engagement. BlackRock said the rules would raise legal considerations. All true, but perhaps her customers have also begun to realize that ESG and net zero mandates are political crusades that accomplish little except politicizing investment. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink noted correctly last year that ESG has been entirely weaponized, but asset managers should have known that bowing to the left would invite pushback from the right. Hmm. And the fact is, you as a corporation, you have a fiduciary responsibility to your stockholders. Yep. Well, that's it. And, you know, uh, it... By the way, by law... By law, you, you have a fiduciary responsibility to your stockholders. It, it was... So there are a couple of things on, on two fronts here. You were never going to appease them. No. And if you thought you were just going to say you were going to pledge your commitment to net zero, remember, net zero is not zero. That's the new one. That's what's changed over the last couple of years. And let you know on the left, mm-hmm. we are quoting your deity, Greta. That's right. And so it will never be enough. You're never going to appease them. And did you think for a moment you were going to... And that they weren't going to come back at you and have you prove it. And so they come back and it's like, and and here's the thing. How do you prove it? What what are you going to do? Buy more carbon credits? (laughs) Give more money to the organization? I mean. You're not pretending hard enough. Well, that's the thing. You're not living. You're not putting your money where the delusional mouth is (laughs) and that's that's really what what, what's at play here and then the reality of wait just a second these are publicly traded companies 
People invest in them because they want they want those companies to perform. And they're supposed to be efficient in business and do what they do. And if they're doing things that are counter to that mission statement, then by law, they can be held accountable. We have said that whether it's ESG, uh, I almost said DEA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, DEI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all of them will eventually go away because of the legal implications. Yep. Yeah. And for DEI, for example, I did see, I read something yesterday. Man, yesterday was a busy day mm. uh, about some DEI lawsuit. It was like DEI. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's what's going to put it under because DEI, when you break it down, is against the Constitution of the United States, how they implement DEI. Right. <laughs> and I forgot what the story was that they were excluding. Um, they were excluding people. There was another DEI lawsuit. Mm-hmm. I'll find it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll talk about it. But uh, you and I have said for the longest time. Don't they realize that when the trial lawyers look at the stuff that's going on in ESG and and DEI, yeah. that it they're looking at this going, what a field day of money this is going to be, because as we know, DEI is the effort to legalize discrimination. Right. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and with with ESG, it is this great opportunity to basically create something because we say because we say so and pressure companies to do something that's basically according to our own agenda, even though it may go completely against what (laughs) really all companies are designed to do, and that's make a profit. And those are, you know, those are the things you look at where, okay, where is that wall they're going to hit? It's well, one of one of the walls is when you have inflation and the economy gets tough, you get rid of anything that isn't about your core business model. Well, because you have to look at the way the consumer then is reconsidering uh, their investment in you, not not as a stockholder, but as a consumer and how much they're going to spend on your product and what they're going to do and and what they're going through. And they can measure that. (laughs) Chase Bank can measure that every single day. They see what the deposits are. They see how many loans are being taken out or, you know, what, how people are behaving and, and what, frankly, what they're spending, how, how much money they're spending in the economy and everything else. They understand it. They see these numbers every single day. It's part of their data. And you're going to come in and create something that is going to, again, undermine the integrity, especially with Chase. Think about it. Uh, the, the, Banking crisis that really never reached crisis level earlier, you know, with uh, Silicon Valley and everything else. And everyone was looking, okay, well, this is going to drive a lot of people uh, from certain banks to now to the big chase banks. Well, all right, but imagine this kind of nonsense went on and on and on and on. We look for those banks to be solvent. Now, there's no guarantee. I mean, there's FDIC, but... There's no guarantee that they're going to remain solvent, but they have to make a concerted effort to not just be responsible, not just carry through with their fiduciary responsibilities, but also be solvent as a bank. 
And those two for that type of business, they go hand in hand. And you have to, you know, you have to remember that. It's not just about uh, what the shareholders see. The shareholders are seeing it for a reason. I mean, it's not, a, it's, you're not appeasing someone who's just trying to make money off the company. The company is being assessed by those shareholders. And because the company has to serve those shareholders, you know, in return for that, you know, that, that well, that's the way those that are three pretty big asset management organizations. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so when that happens, and I'm basing this on how quickly the whole EV thing has turned around. Mm-hmm. And what are we, the third month into it, maybe? Third, mm-hmm. fourth month? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Into when it just, you it the everything hit the fan. Yeah. And then, boom, and now it's like EVs, or we're pulling out, or we're not. And it's just like. It feels very ghost town in the making. Right. And exactly. And so you wonder, is the same thing going to happen with, with uh, you know, DEI and, and ESG? But DEI, you know, without question is because it's unconstitutional. Right. It's discrimination. Right. It's discrimination. It's trying to pretend you're not discriminating by discriminating. Yeah. Right? I know. Yeah. Sounds dumb, but that's what's going on. So I look at it, how fast EVs, how fast the tide has turned uh, there. Will the same thing happen? Uh, I'll, I'll leave DEI out of it, but with ESG for for companies being responsible and climate change and carbon neutral and with the lawsuits of the fiduciary responsibility and whatever other lawsuits you can file out there, yeah. which are going to be filed. And as soon as the government, think about it, as soon as the, but, uh, it was uh, BlackRock and the, uh, not not uh, Chase, but the other company, the asset management group, you know, they're the ones that were under fire by Ted Cruz. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, boom, okay, we're changing. Right. Well, because like, they see what that legal risk is for them. But there's a legal risk for a reason. We have the law for a reason. And... You know, if a company wants to go down that road, and we've seen it, you see it on cartons of, you know, milk or whatever package, you know, we're pledging blah, blah, blah to the environment. You know, that's one thing. But even then, all right, how much are you pledging? You're handing over half of your, you know, imagine we're giving 50% of our revenue to the environment. You know, obviously they're not, but that kind of thought of, and it's, Sometimes can be measured where it's like, all right, we did this and said, um, we're going to use, uh, uh, we're going to locally grown, blah, 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 blah. And it, which is still also part of the agenda, but it showed that it was a return. We had a positive response from our consumer, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Fiduciary responsibility met in the, in, you know, uh, in, in the event it's a, uh, publicly traded company. It, there's nothing. There's nothing necessarily against the law with that kind of behavior. Is how far you go with it in terms of changing your overall fundamental policy as a corporation and asset management company. That's that that becomes again, as Ted Cruz I think rightly pointed out. There's a reason we have that law. But it also comes down to throwing money down the toilet. Oh yeah, and, and a lot it, of companies it, are still doing times. that. Yeah, exactly. They're just throwing. They're basically burning money. Right. Right. And I, I think those companies, 
publicly traded companies on the call should say, here's, you know, we have this revenue here, this revenue here, this division, that division, and here was our revenue. But also these initiatives. Here's where we have seen we believe we can we have a direct correlation between these initiatives and this increase in revenue. And otherwise, what are you spending on that? What's being spent on that? Because if you just categorize that as, well, that's marketing. Well, that's not just marketing. Is it marketing that's bringing you a return? And that's the question. You know, I mean, I think these questions probably more and more no, will be asked. Marketing has to bring a return. That's the, that's the whole idea. Well, at least, I'm sorry, in old school business think. <laughs> if you're going to continue that marketing campaign or that style of marketing, then yes, you need to show a return for right. those Market, investors. Marketing only resists to get a return on that investment. Exactly. It only exists for that reason. That's what you're trying to do. 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. Three-day uh, three weekend. We are uh, taking President's Day off, and uh, we'll be back Monday night, Tuesday morning. We'll, so. we'll be in a service where we'll be honoring and worshiping Joe Biden on President's Day, just so you know. Well, that, uh, that makes one of us. Good luck with that. <laughs> I won't be there. Sorry, I can't make it. I'm going to be the only one there? Yep. Just me? <laughs> you might be. I'm not sure that Jill Biden would be there. But, uh, yeah, we got a president. Joe won't show. Joe won't show. Well, for other reasons. Uh, but, yeah, we uh, we won't. Uh, we'll, but we'll be back Monday night, Tuesday morning. So much going on over the weekend. I mean, it's going to be. I know. It's going to be. You know, it's going to be uh, another Crazy, yeah. crazy weekend. Going to see Dad just for a day. Oh, yeah. yeah. Travel safe and Thanks. give them our best. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.